Welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil, Toronto, Canada. You are listening to episode 318 of the Matinee Cast. It's the movie-loving podcast of thematinee.ca, your home for cinematic passion and perspective. 2023 is taking its final bow, folks. Israel and Gaza started fighting again. Forest fires raged all over Canada all summer. England crowned a new king. LeBron James became the NBA's all-time scoring leader. Phantom of the Opera closed on Broadway. Taylor and Beyonce reminded us all how big a concert can be. And we all finally learned what AI can do. Also, just because I wanted to include some good news, the Houston Zoo announced that their oldest resident, Mr. Pickles, a 90-year-old tortoise, was finally a father with Mrs. Pickles, who is a 53-year-old tortoise. They are the parents of three rare baby radiated tortoises that they named Dill, Gherkin, and Jalapeno. So it wasn't all bad news. That's the news I needed yeah. <laughs> I was going to say 37 year age gap. I mean, <laughs> listen, there was some grooming, you know. Oh yeah, by the way, pandemic, still a thing. We said goodbye to Sophia Loren, Norman Lear, Cormac McCarthy, Tina Turner, Tony Bennett, and Matthew Perry. At the movies, the actors and writers both went on prolonged strikes that disrupted a lot of films in production, development, and many that were completed. Uh, but during peacetime, we all rejoiced in the event that was Barbenheimer. We put the DCEU out of its misery. We went back across the Spider-Verse. We danced with Megan. We walked through the flowers of the killer moon. It was really and truly a very good year for film, despite all the interruptions. Here on the show, when time comes to tie off a year, I cannot do it alone. I am happy to report that three of my nearest and dearest have joined me here in my Mojo Dojo Casa House to see the year out in style. First, from the West Side, the Julian Baker of the band. From the outlets like Wiley Wrights, Jolie Featherstone is here. How are you, Jolie? I am so good now that I'm here with you all. Thank you for having me. My, our pleasure. As always, happy to have you. Next, from the North Side, the Lucy Dacus of this evening's affair, the one-time proprietor of Eternal Sunshine of the Logical Mind, Bob Turnbull is here. How are you, Bob? I was good until that intro. I'm not even sure what the hell that means. <laughs> You'll, ask, ask your kids. Okay. <laughs> Finally, from the East Side, the Phoebe Bridgers of the group from Live for Film. Hillary Butler is here. How are you, Hillary Butler? I'm good, and I'm so excited to get to be Phoebe. Yeah. Bridgers, so, like, Fair. Yeah. The question is, it's only a three-member group, so I'm just like, you know, the, the, the low-jobber indie solo act that's opening for y'all, which really it truly is the point on episode 318 we will be counting down our top five films of the year uh and here's how it's going to work we are going to go slot by slot so each of us will name our fives our fours and so forth until we get to the top dog in the event that a film is on more than one list and there are three that overlap on multiple lists we will dig into it fully at its highest ranking before that you might hear me briefly ask for a thought by the guest who has it in the lower position but we shall begin and we begin with Jolie Featherstone. Jolie, at your number five slot, tell us about Uproar. Oh, I feel so honored that I get to go first. Wow, <laughs> thank you. Um, so yes, Uproar was a lovely, lovely film um, that premiered, had its world premiere at TIFF this year, um, directed uh, by Paul Middleditch and Hamish Bennett. Um, it's a lovely kind of coming of age film. Um, essentially revolves around a young indigenous boy in New Zealand during a time of a lot of kind of like social upheaval and, and change um, in the 1980s. It's a really wonderful, wonderful film. And it's a film that I think anyone can watch and kind of take something away from it. I don't think anyone will leave that film not feeling somewhat inspired. We talked about this when we did our TIFF episode yes. at Roy Thompson Hall. What about that film like really resonated 
with you this year that it's still sticking around four months later? No, that's a great question. Um, To to speak about this film, I think um, I really love the exercise of putting together five films because I realize that there is sort of a running theme amongst them, but um, in, in Uproar is no kind of uh, different from, from that theme. Um, but I think what really stuck out to me is the centering of the voice in this film. So they actually brought on a second director um, to inject kind of some authenticity to speak from a young Indigenous man's perspective. Um, so I think they really um, do a great job of speaking to a very specific voice and a very specific kind of um, experience. Yet the writing is just so clever. It's so fun, even when they are dealing with a bit more of like intense or uh, maybe not as light um, kind of topics. It's still so um, charming and it keeps you engaged throughout the entire film. Guys, had either one of you seen Uproar? I saw it at TIFF, yeah. Yep. I'm, the, I'm the only loser who hasn't seen it. <laughs> All right. Uh, thoughts on, on this gem? We'll, we'll take over the show from here, right? Yeah. <laughs> Most um, people usually do. I, I enjoyed it a great deal. I mean, it hits a lot of familiar beats, mm-hmm. but it does it with a lot of warmth and, mm-hmm. I think, compassion for its characters. Mm-hmm. And I forget the young actor's name. He was also in Hunt, Hunt uh, Julian Dennison. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Uh, he was great. He has a yes. beautiful monologue. Like, oh, so boy. So and he hits that. Yeah. Okay, so it's definitely one that I need to catch up with. So thank you for that. that. That's one of the reasons why I love doing this show is I inevitably come away with homework, with like good homework. So thank you for getting us started there. That was me last year with that, Mitchell's versus the Machines. It was. I it and I watched it the next day and I loved it. <laughs> one of the best animated films in the last decade, I'd say. It's so good. Uh, Robert, you're up next, and you have one that I also haven't seen, but has been on my radar for a while. Uh, talk about Zone of Interest. Yeah, that, that was a, a tough call because it was sort of a split vote for number five between that and Anatomy of a Fall. Because those were the two foreign films I was most looking forward to, the two that I got shut out from at TIFF mm. that I finally caught up with, and both starring Sandra Huller. They were, they were tough tickets. Yeah, absolutely. To, to they only had like one or two screens, yeah, so it was yeah. tough to see. And Sandra Huller is fabulous. I kind of leaned more to Zone of Interest because it is a unique <laughs> cinematic experience, and when you dig into the making of the film, it's even more incredible what they did. But the movie's essentially about Rudolf Hess and his family who live right outside the gates of Auschwitz. And they're going about their regular kind of days. They're in their garden. They've got a little pool. The kids are going to school. And everything seems normal. Except that occasionally batches of clothes and the prisoners come in and they get to choose the fur coats, whatever they want from there. And you you hear things. <laughs> you see puffs of smoke kind of coming all over the wall. And like, oh, that's a train. Right. Bringing more people in. And it, it's in some ways, I was wondering how long they could sustain that for the movie. But first of all, it's kind of gut-wrenching as it goes, but it does actually extend outside of that compound. Okay. And that takes the story in a little bit of a different direction and really sets up this, in my mind, kind of a gut punch at the end that just makes you, it's not that you're surprised by any of this, but no. when you just see this over and over again, it just reinforces the incredible nature of what happened and how it relates to today too, in, in many ways, in many sure. parts of the world. But some of the stuff I was reading about this movie, the, the sound designer, had a 600-page document of all the different sounds he was recording. Mm -hmm. And they went to so much detail, they knew where sounds should be coming from, how loud they should be, what context it would be, and they interviewed people. The bike that was ridden by the young Polish girl and some of the little sort of flashbacks at night, 
is actually the bike that was ridden by a young Polish girl who who did those scenes like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in the real life. It's amazing the detail that they went to. They, they had cameras in the house with no lighting, no directors, and they want to get some of the improv feel of people just living there. Oh wow! It's a fascinating and amazing film that isn't a fun holiday watch, <laughs> but I think is is pretty much essential. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because Jonathan Glazer does not show up to make films very often. This is. Is this just his third? Fourth. But it's been a minute since um, Birth, Sexy Beast, Sexy Beast, Sexy Beast. I always forget Your favorite, Sexy Beast. Skin. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's been a minute since Under the Skin. A uh, decade. We are now eighty years removed from the events of World War II. It's like how many more uh, Holocaust stories can be told? But yet every five or 10 years, somebody comes along with something like this or like Son of Saul, like those films that really find a new way to, you know, reframe the story to remind you of what happened, how it relates to what's happening now. And I, I can't wait to see it. Like I, I the, of everything that I meant to get to before we recorded today, that was probably the yeah. one that I want to see most. Yeah, yeah. I know Hillary Butler, you saw it. Julie, did you get to see it? No, you were shut out as well. Uh, Zone of Interest? I had the great fortune of seeing Anatomy of a Fall and Zone of Interest back-to-back -back at TIFF. Um, and they both circled around my number five spot as well, like, hands down. That was the toughest, like, cut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> because it wasn't it's, for the tyrant over here, forcing us to only pick five. No. It's, so it's a long show as it is, okay? <laughs> it's a very terrifying movie right. and unsettling right. in what you don't see. Mm. And it is and in the people's indifference. And it's a very good lesson to not be indifferent to when things are happening around you. So it's that, that banality of evil yes. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It was, uh, yeah, it was an amazing, but also horrifying experience. And I walked in with expectations that were kind of like, oh, I don't want this under the skin, like kind of oh, situation okay. because yeah. I didn't like that movie. Where did, you does, where did you come down on birth or did you see that? I didn't see that one. Okay. But he does use some similar techniques sometimes in this film as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He really likes going into darkness mm. and like dark spaces and- Natural like lighting. And, yes. Yeah, yeah. So he uses some of the same techniques and some of the same like soundtracky sort of like dissonant like music. Well, I think they, they wrote an entire score for the movie. Then they thought we can't really score this, no. so they just had it in certain parts yeah. of the movie, oh, wow. which was yeah. really effective. Yes, it okay. was. Yeah, I'm I'm anticipating seeing it um, and just being with it. I did a lot of catch up this year at home, but of everything I wanted to see for the end of the year, it's one that I want to see in the theater the most. Mm -hmm. So um, I will definitely make it a priority. It's playing in Toronto too, yep. so I have like no excuse. Yep. In a complete opposite from Zone of Interest. Thanks for bringing uh -huh. us back up. Yeah. Hillary yeah. Butler, take us to theater camp. Okay. So uh, <laughs> it is a very big It's a hard, it's, like a it's a hard right. Like it's, yeah. yeah. I'm a musical theater lover. I also went to music camp, so this kind of stuck with me and resonated with me. The inside jokes might be a little bit much sometimes for some people, but I do think it's funny enough that it will see, uh, you know, you can find humor in it however you want to. It's very much the Christopher Guest sort of mockumentary style film that is, you know, best in show without the dogs, but you'll see some familiar faces. So Patty Harrison, who was in a movie, that I also loved from Sundance, it was two years ago maybe, or maybe last year, called Together Together with Ed Helms. Oh, it was oh yeah. yeah, incredible. Was I loved that movie. Did um, we record that show? We did, yes. There's we a, did. Yep, there's yep. a podcast episode with Jolie and I yes. talking about Together Together. Love that. 
Noah Galvin, who basically steals the show in the last 15 mm. minutes, is all him. Um, that you might recognize from The Good Doctor. And I'm always going to pronounce her name wrong, but Ayo Itabiri. Yeah, from, uh, from, from, the, the from the bear. Um, there have been Ben Platt, how can I forget? Um, and also Molly Gordon, who directed, all kind of take up the main kind of sphere of this movie. And it was just delightful. And, you know, sometimes you just want to rewatch something that just brings you joy. And that's what this movie was. I, you know, uh, did you either of you theater camp? I saw it. You saw it? Unfortunately not. Oh, it's, I mean, it, it's delightful. Really and truly, it's, there, there are some there are some jokes in there that are actually really dark. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some unexpected turds along the way. Uh, I, I'm glad that you're a theater nerd as well, because there are, a lot, like Hillary said, there are a lot of things in there that are real inside baseball. Yeah. Um, but it, it is, it just has a, just wonderfulness all together uh, you saw it as well I, I enjoyed it but i'm kind of 50 50 on it and i'm not a oh no nerd, although i can absolutely appreciate i love musicals the last 15 minutes of it was yeah. actually a step up i think the what detracted from it for me was i think it's been Platt's character where i didn't, didn't like him mm-hmm. and a movie like that i kind of want to like the characters even if they're flawed or whatever i kind of want to still go yeah but i like this guy i did not like his character and it was he was bothering me a bit. And I think that that kind of threw off some of the comedy for me. But maybe I'm, I'm also missing some of the things that you want. No, 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 there's a reason for this or that. Um, but overall, I do, I do recommend it to see if you want something kind of light and you like music in your movie. And it does get better as it goes along, for sure. Um, yeah, Theater Camp. Uh, love it. There, uh, we did an episode on that. Look in the show notes if you want to listen to us talk about Theater Camp. Um, well, Bob, my holiday gift for you is I am taking the chalice away from you and not making you pick because my number five is Anatomy of a Fall. So we can we can talk about it here. But this is one of the later ones that I saw this year. Uh, I caught up with it Christmas week. This is the mo- kind of movie where not a lot happens like it could be a play this is the hillary butler special where the movie is if the movie is a play she's automatically in this man is dead his wife may have done it and let's talk about that in court for a while and that's it's basically that it's like it's a the greatest episode of csi you've ever seen um it involves um you know everything from their their son's perspective to the, the what the writer put into her work and how much of this is fact and how much of it is just possible leads, mm-hmm. right? Um, the way you're nodding, did you catch up with it? I did not, but I've read a lot about it, yeah. which is kind of me breaking my rules because I try <laughs> not to read too It's hard, right? It, yeah. And that's... But it was so intriguing to me that I read a lot about it. So like some of it is familiar to me, but mm-hmm. like not certainly not to the level of having actually seen it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what got me about it, 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 um, it followed up on a film that also played in theaters this year. So if somebody had have mentioned it, uh, you know, it would have fallen within the rules, but it debuted at the festivals last year. Uh, St. Omer. Um, That's another one high Alice, on my list. Alistia? Alistia. Yeah. Alistia. You know, where the drama is being told instead of shown, which mm-hmm. is completely opposite to the rule, mm-hmm. right? But yet the drama is just so engaging. It's just so riveting of, in this case, Anatomy of a Fall, did this guy fall or was he pushed? Mm. Right? Is it is it a suicide or is it a murder? Um, how what you know? Did you now? Did you see this before you did Zone of Interest or after? Oh, yes. so this was, was like this was the amuse bouche. Okay. Eight thirty in the morning. Ooh. Yeah, kick off that. Day. My goodness. <laughs> yeah, the first day of tip, eight thirty in the morning. Nice. Yeah. Up by 
by like seven because it was in the smallest theater. Of course. Uh, there, which made no sense because everyone wanted to see it. And, and how did it, uh, it, it didn't quite make your five, but how did it land for oh, you? It was like, Pardon the pun. Honestly, it was just more, I wanted to talk about theater camp. It very easily could have been mm-hmm. in my top five, but I figured somebody would bring it up. <laughs> um, That's so smart. Thanks, I like so that. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if Sandra Miller wins, like, an Oscar for this film, I would be very happy. She is more than deserving. Her work in Zone of Interest was She's also fantastic. fantastic, but I really loved her in this film. I'm going to ignore talking about the dog because I feel like that's... <laughs> the dog was a lot. Don't get me started on Yeah. Anybody um, who hasn't seen this movie, if you're a person who is upset by animals in peril, uh, please be warned. And if you're a veterinarian, you'll be sitting there trying to do calculations in your head. So also <laughs> for that very niche group. But besides from that, it was, yeah, it was riveting all the way through. To catch my interest at 8.30 in the morning, like after having gotten up at 5 to try and get in line for this film, um, I... I really enjoyed it. It's really fascinating. I'm glad you mentioned Saint Omer. Is sort of looking at the French justice system. Like when I saw Saint Omer first, I was like, okay, that's not how things happen. And then you see Anatomy of Falls, like maybe that's how, how things happen. happen. Yeah, <laughs> because it seems to be more of a conversation between the judge and yes. witnesses and other people. And you're like, wait a second here. I thought this was supposed to be a line of questioning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's a conversation, and it's fascinating it's to see in both those films how mm-hmm. it plays out. One interesting thing about Anatomy of a Fall, and it's referenced in the movie. A couple of weeks ago, somebody asked me, oh, who do you think if she actually did it? Mm-hmm. At the end of the movie, do you think she did it? And my first time, I was like, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't really, I didn't come out with that sort of thought, ah, they give me all the clues. And they actually say that in the movie, right? I think it's in the trailer where the, the lawyer says, I don't care. It doesn't matter if you did it or not. It's about the process. It's about going through the legal machinations. And I find that absolutely fascinating. I mean, not to bring it back to another, like not to bring it back to St. Omar again, but I mean, in St. Omar, it was, we know this has happened. You need to tell us why, mm-hmm. you know, like that, that, that seemed like you said about it being a conversation. It doesn't matter whether he was, I mean, it matters in the grand scheme of things, whether he was pushed or whether he fell, but it's listening to why, how, what led there, what state was your relationship in, what state was he in, and, and you know, bringing all of this in instead of just, you know, there's, there's like a sliver of forensic evidence in this story. There's like one little sliver where they're talking about the blood splatter and how it, you know, it suggests that there was a push. Um, but that's, it's just a one little thing. Most of it is not like not motive but just what was the situation can you well, the the if you call him a prosecuting attorney yeah the, the, the one character is one of the most frustrating characters <laughs> yeah here for me because you wanted to, yes. to punch him yeah but he played it amazingly well yeah did you want to wring his neck because yeah. he'd always kind of drop these little asides yeah um there we go that's our number fives we'll take a quick break here and be back with the fours right after this Champagne shit. 
So it's time for our number four positions. Jolie, you are back on the hot seat uh, and you are taking people back in time because they could just go back to March and listen to us discuss this movie together at length. But tell people why we're at the end of the year and The Five Devils stuck as one of your favorite movies of the year. Yes, this one I actually kind of had a bit of a tie, um, so I I really struggled at number four with The Five Devils um, uh, by Leah Messieurs and then Fashion Reimagined by Becky Hunter. Um, but The Five Devils, um, we saw that film together at TIFF mm -hmm. and I remember it being such a wonderful cinematic experience. Like I'm so glad I saw this film on the big screen, like in a, in a theater. Um, it's just visually so stunning. I think it there's, there's the sort of like enchanting um, mysticism to it. Um, it. It blends genres in a really interesting way. It's just a film that I'm so glad that I saw in the theater um, and got to witness like a director really, I felt having a lot of fun behind uh, the camera and like really experimenting with things. So that one really stuck out to me still to the, to the end of the year from the very beginning. Um, that one is one that I still think about even just some of the um, editing and the cinematography, which I believe was done by uh, the director's partner. Visually, it was so engrossing, so gorgeous. Um, but yeah, just really interesting. It kind of reminded me of Border. Mm -hmm. um, Oh, yeah. yeah, sort of this like mystical realism, uh, very, very European <laughs> film. Um, but yes, highly recommend this one. I feel like it kind of snuck in uh, early in the year and maybe a lot of people didn't quite catch it. It's also a film that I think might play differently if you watch it in a theater or watch it like at home in a dark room and you actually take the time to like put your phone away and just get lost in the film. Uh, folks, Five Devils, either of you, did you catch yeah, up yeah, with it? Yeah, you I, did? it was on Mubi, I think. So yes. I it yeah. halfway through the year. Yeah, yeah. Out there. Uh, yeah. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, very um, thick in metaphor. Uh, Adele Exarchopoulos, mm -hmm. I probably pronounced that wrong. You got it. I apologize. Um, I thought she was wondrous in this, and mm -hmm. I saw a few more films with her after that passages. Mm -hmm. She showed up a lot Just this year. Yeah, she had a good year. previous movie yeah. had her and Sandra Hiller in it. That movie is Sybil that we talked about. Sybil, thank you. Yeah, that we talked yeah, about yeah. in relation to <laughs> Five Devils, <laughs> yes. which I adore. Door. Oh, Sybil! Oh my God! It's bananas in the most French way ever. Let's talk. So Adele was all over my viewing right. experience mm -hmm. as well. But I, I really enjoyed Five Dollars because I had no idea where that was going. Mm -hmm. I Same. thought I did, mm -hmm. and parts of that sort of okay, mm -hmm. but it it's certainly kind of like oh. Yeah. Oh, is that where you're going now? It was very pleasantly surprising. Yeah. 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 Um, any movie that's visually lush, mm -hmm. I'm there. Mm -hmm. You know, like I, I will, I will always go for eye popping visuals. Mm -hmm. uh, I like you said that that mysticism that's mm -hmm. played just right. Yes. Like if they went yeah. one note further with it, it may have you fallen have apart. You have to buy in with that central. Mm -hmm. um, power shall yes. we say of the, of the child yes and if you do you're good yes. but i mean the, i think why why i bought it is you know i mean we can talk about it because it's a movie that's that's nine months old now it's a the the young girl who's at the center of the story she can mix together your scent so it'll be like one part chlorine one part beaujolais and one part you know latex who knows and it's like essence of butler <laughs> I, I wish everybody could see the look that Hillary is giving you right now. Not only is it like she can like nail your uh, your olfactory profile, but in the case of the movie, 
it actually sends her to a different point in time when she finds this kind of special ingredient. So she ends up seeing something from her family's past from a fresh perspective, something that they don't even talk about. Um, and yeah, it, it's like on the surface that should not work, mm-hmm. um, but it's handled so delicately. Yes. Um, the, the the juvenile actor at the center is fantastic. Incredible. Everybody in the movie is amazing. Yeah. Adele is acting her butt off. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I haven't gone back to it since, but I really need to. Um, and as I said, if people want to hear Jolie and I talk about it at length, we've got a whole episode for you. It'll be in the show notes. Um, and thank you for reminding me of the the five devils. Ooh, my uh, Bob, I know you don't like this word, but briefly <laughs> talk about the holdovers. Well, we did an entire hour-long podcast on the holdovers. We so did, so that should be even easier. <laughs> should some things And up. yet... <laughs> I, uh, simply put, uh, what an amazing film. What a great film. A film I'm going to go back. I've already been back through it twice. Um, I wow. want to show it to my wife. Um, I want to just kind of live in this movie. Why did it stick in your top five specifically? So one of the reasons, my, I was talking to my son about it the other day, and he said that he heard that it called, he heard the movie being referred to as Cozy, which neither of us agreed as a good descriptor of the movie, and apparently Alexander Payne refutes that as well. Yeah. But I get it. You kind of want to live in this movie, and okay. where it ends okay. up, that there, you know, it's bittersweet, but there's some nice resolutions, and you kind of feel your way through this movie, and you like where the characters go, even if they sometimes kind of depart from where you want them yeah. to go. It all makes sense, okay. and it's very believable, and you just want to sit with this movie and these people. I agree. Um, I, I think I would go with weathered more than cozy. Like it's if I were like this movie feels like a jacket that's worn in perfectly. You know, that it sure, zips up right, it fits you right, it keeps you warm enough, it's not too warm. That's that's what I think of when I think of this movie. And we will promise we will come back to it in a minute. Um, but all the performances, I'll quickly kind of oh, yeah. say, out of this world. Oh, I mean, yes. Giamatti, never been better, although yeah. he's always great. Mm-hmm. Um, Divine Joy Randolph, who yeah. I had not seen before, I know she's already, already known. Yeah. Um, holy cow. Yeah. One of the best moments of the year was her breakdown in the kitchen mm-hmm. and how she tensed up when she was touched it just was so realistic it's like that's what people do you don't know what to do with your body when you're in that kind of emotional state and absolutely fantastic performance. yeah um we will talk about it more in a minute but thank you uh for bringing the other 20 minutes i know you can <laughs> yeah, i got notes here um hillary butler uh <laughs> i was about to say tell us but please don't tell us uh talk <laughs> Talk about how to blow up a pipeline. <laughs> well, it's good because I wouldn't be able to tell you how to do it. I also, think they taught us. Movies, like, yeah. fairly, like, it's methodical. Yeah. Um, so this is a film that actually premiered at TIFF last year. So I guess technically it could be a 2022, but they've included it for our viewing pleasure yeah. on the 2023 list. So um, I saw it like back in April. So here I'm going back to very early in the year to a film that um, kind of really stuck with me. Um, about a group of environmental activists. The whole movie is kind of based on uh, a book uh, by Andreas Mom, who basically claims that you know property destruction has always been part of a tactic in the fight for social justice. And so these kids all kind of get together from these very diverse backgrounds and different motives. Every everyone has a different motive, which you get to visit and see why they're doing this in their attempts to blow up a fossil fuel pipeline and kind of disrupt the status quo, so to speak. So. Um, just the tension in this movie is amazing, like how they managed to build it and keep it the whole way through and you don't know what's going to happen. I was like so sweaty, like watching these like people make these makeshift bombs on whether they were going to succeed. Um, 
And so it, it stuck with me for that reason, its ability to kind of keep tension, which I guess will be a theme for my next Clearly. Too. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> um, guys, how to blow up a pipeline? Yeah, I saw it mid-year, I think, when it came out on, on video, on streaming. Yeah. Uh, because everybody kept saying, you got to see this movie, you got to see this movie. You were probably one of them. Probably. Um, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was it was in my top five for a long time. It's just been pushed down by other movies. But still, excellent film. You're right about the tension. It it resolved differently than I expected it to. Uh, it wasn't just the safe kind of like, um, yeah, they, they have this purpose. Oh, but they, they all realize the error of their ways. It's not that simple. And I like that about the movies. The characters are complex and they're flawed as hell, but they also have some really interesting points to make. And I, th I hope that people watch the movie and whether they agree with <laughs> the terrorist act or not, take from it, you know, what the message is that I think it's trying to convey anyway. What's interesting to me is that here we are now, 16 months, 16 months removed from TIFF 22, and the movie has still stuck with you through that many films in between uh then and now and you watch a lot um you know to, to to cover everything that you cover um what i loved about this movie it just missed my five it was like sitting in the five spot for a long long time um and the stakes of it are so high mm -hmm. you know it does an incredible job of portraying stakes of you know one peace not put into place there's a moment where they're like hauling the uh the, like not the they're hauling the charge or they're hauling the, the main piece of the detonator device and it's just like if the rope gives they're going to be in yeah. big trouble right those kinds of movies where like you said like sweaty palm yeah. heart in your throat kind of movies they're hard to do yeah. right it's hard to really get people invested, get people kind of thing. Um, certainly at home too, where I think a lot of us saw this, you got to see it in the theater, but I got it at home, you watched it at home. Yeah, watch it you know, but still like, I was just sitting there like, are they gonna be okay? Yep. You know, and- oh, totally invested, absolutely. Yeah. It's like the best heist movie, right? Like it's a heist movie done well, but with a different political message mm -hmm. in this case. Mm -hmm. um, and the movie also looks great. 16 millimeter, like mm. gritty, dirty, dusty sort of thing, which is exactly, you know, the picture of the world you want when you're kind of trying to put climate change and global warming. Yeah. That's kind of a theme that we're running with already is like, we've got a lot of very, very handsome movies that we've talked about mm -hmm. already. Um, so um, yeah, if people haven't seen how to blow up a pipeline, um, please take Hillary's uh, suggestion and run, don't walk. Uh, my number four is a film I really feel just sailed under the radar, and I'm really sorry that happened. Um, my number four is an animated movie. It was a great year for animation. Um, have any of y'all sat down with Nimona? I loved Nimona. Oh, it, it was I, fantastic. I watched it yeah. on your recommendation. Oh, I didn't oh, have it on my five, actually. Okay. That doesn't happen often. I know, <laughs> man. An agreement. What? Oh, yeah. Uh, Nimona, it was a film that was released on Netflix um, in midsummer. Um, it was created by Blue Sky is the animated studio. And it was one that kind of knocked around for years from studio to studio and they didn't mm -hmm. know what they were going to do with it. America went and got itself up in a tither about trans rights this year. And without specifically being about trans rights, Nimona is probably the most gorgeous allegory for 
trans lives um, that could possibly be put out there without specifically smacking you over the head that this is a trans allegory. Its central character, Nimona, just is. Uh, Nimona could be a, a femme boy, could be a butch girl. We don't know. We don't care. The, the core question that keeps coming up over and over in the movie is, what are you? And her answer is always, I'm Nimona. Mm-hmm. And well, the tagline is, a little anti, a little hero. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you can read a lot of it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It is funny. It is really funny. There are some things in the movie that still make me giggle. It is handsome as can be. Um, it's got some really sweet, really charming moments. Even if you just wanted to like sit the kids down and show them a cartoon. you know, Because I know that animation can sometimes get really hoity-toity and the kids don't always like stick with it it's just it's just so slapdash funny but i loved this allegory that was in the middle of it um andy stevenson the author of the graphic novel just you know also a, a trans artist i don't know if it was necessarily on their mind when they created it in the first place probably but it's just it comes through so much more in this animated work than their little black and white uh, graphic novel that sort of served as the source, and I haven't been able to forget about it all year. It's absolutely wonderful, I think. Yeah, and one of the really great things about it too is that this movie is going—I don't want to say it's going to be timeless, but it's going to last mm. for a while. You know how? No offense to the minions, yeah, yeah, yeah. But a lot of those movies do tend to have a lot of cultural references, and mm-hmm. that's fine. Mm-hmm. But five, ten years down the road, you're like, okay, it's a little, you know, dated yeah. for lack yeah, of yeah. a better term. Maybe there are some in this movie, but um, they're not jumping to mind. And I actually want to go watch it again right now. How did Nimona work for you? I, I actually debated a long time. It was like almost on my top five. Mm. Um, it's first of all, like the animation just bar none is beautiful. So well done. Um, I, yeah, I love the, the representation. I love the humor, like the humor, the music, everything about it is amazing. Um, and I was very lucky that I got to see it at a, a pre-screening with the, uh, head of animation of the film. Oh, wow. It was nice. like, I had, I didn't, uh, like know ahead, ahead of time. And then I went there and he's like prolific. He's worked on some of like the old like Don Bluth Disney films and non-Disney Don Bluth films. Like he's super prolific, um, amazing person. And then as he was speaking, I'm like, wow, you are exactly the person that was meant to make this movie. Cause he himself was just so like, so warm and so progressive and just so welcoming. There was a lot of kids in the audience. Like there was a lot of adults, but there was a lot of families with kids as well. And he always prioritized like, anyone doesn't matter who you were what age you were you could have been five you could have been 55 and he took your question very seriously and gave you like a really solid answer um just an amazing uh person i think to have at the helm of this film Um, and you know a decent year for animation too i mean it goes without saying boy in the hair and fantastic Mm -hmm. robot dreams i'm not sure if anybody saw haven't caught up with it yet but it's it's i'm like ready to absolutely wondrous uh even the teenage mutant ninja turtles which is way better than it has any right to be it is so good it's it's like it's i'm like this should not be this good you should just be selling toys again way better oh my goodness yeah it was a fantastic year for animation and there will be more in a minute um but right now we're going to take a quick break we'll be right back with the number three position right after this Maybe we should bury these 
last of the good ones What about the ceiling fans What if we move back to New York What about the moon drop light You should take it Cause I'm not gonna take it You should take it I'm only gonna break it Okay, we're back. It's time for the bronze medal position. Uh, Jolie, uh, you're going to touch on this quickly because it will come up again. Why are we still here in December talking about Barbie? Well, who isn't still talking about Barbie? Let's again, it's an it's an audio show, so I need to uh, to, to <laughs> yes. describe. Miss Butler is sitting across from me wearing a Girls on Tops tee with Greta Gerwig uh, across the front, uh, proud representing the home tee. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I won't spend too long because I'm sure it'll come up again in, in other lists. But I, I'm almost thankful. Like I don't want to say impressed. I want to say I'm thankful for how Greta Gerwig handled this film. Um, it really like. I think the, the, my favorite thing about it was how it played with the notion of um, Barbie as a concept. Um, it didn't necessarily, again, like their characters, yes, of course, um, but it's less about like personification and more of the concept of Barbie and its sort of cultural influence over time. Mm. Um, and I love, love, love the ending when um, Barbie sort of faced with the choice of whether do you want to continue being the concept or do you want to be the person mulling over and thinking and creating concepts. Um, I just, yeah, I'm so grateful to Greta Gerwig for how she handled this. And I also want to give a shout out to my sister because she was the biggest like Barbie fan growing up. And I was the exact, like I was the foil. I <laughs> hated Barbie with my entire being. I refused to play with Barbie and I saw the film and within five minutes, the opening when they describe Ruth's intention for Barbie to be like an adult woman as opposed to like a baby doll and how this doll of, of like a grown woman doll could signify having like an adult future and that future being a multiplicity of things that I was like okay I'm in I'm, in. <laughs> I'm a Barbie fan now <laughs> the movie was far better than it could have been on paper mm -hmm. right when this when this concept was first being floated like this has been in production for a long time when it was first floated it could have been very bad mm -hmm. it could have been just a cash grab yeah. and what we got was so far above and beyond what could have been presented to us um so thank you for bringing that to the table we will come back to that in a minute but um bob and hillary let's talk about the teacher's lounge oh, high fives, bob. uh yeah. and <laughs> This yeah, is the, I was going to be the one that was off the Both of you have it in your number three spot. I sat my ass down on my day off today and watched it because I'm like, well, if you're both talking about it, all I, all I needed was if you had to talk about it as well, Jolie, I would have been like, I really need to. But I'm two out of so three excited. of you. Yeah. Like, and it's in the same <laughs> slot. Yeah. Two like, out of three of you talking about this movie. I'm like, clearly I need to see this. I'm what? still flabbergasted that we actually like. <laughs> I'm not, because we both have excellent, excellent taste. taste. It, it's, it's 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 just fantastic. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm I was wondering a little bit if maybe it was somewhere near this because you mentioned tension before. Yes, that that's a common this theme. Is, this this movie, movie that from you. as you probably found out today from moment one. Yes, ratchets the tension just yes. little increments. Mm -hmm. With the score too. Oh, the, the score! It kind of shows kind of the, the, those little violin kind of. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's like yeah, just ratchet things. Yep. Up. Uh, just in case people haven't seen. Yeah. Shout out to 
The Teacher's Lounge. One of you tell people what this movie is about. Hillary, tell people what The Teacher's Lounge is about. So there is... um, This lounge. There is a lounge. (laughs) Sorry. I'm so sorry. Yes. There definitely is. So there's this new teacher, basically, that's kind of started at, I think it's a middle school school situation. And when she kind of comes in, this group of teachers is kind of giving the nth degree to this Turkish student who they're blaming for stealing things in the school. And she really doesn't like how partially they're coming down on the student. She kind of vows to be like, I can figure out who does this. So she sets her laptop up in the lounge. See, it does exist. Um, and puts some money in her wallet, very obviously leaving it in her coat pocket in the hopes that she will catch the culprit. And the money does get stolen from her wallet. And she thinks she knows who has done it um, based on a pattern on the sleeve of a blouse. Mm. And so she starts accusing this person and everything just snowballs. And there's this overriding theme of what is assumption versus proof. Um, There's a great kind of thing at the beginning where she's actually teaching math class to these kids. And she's like, well, is 0.9999 the same as one if you can prove it? And it's, so there's this whole really great metaphor for this and it's, it's a runaway train. And I thought it was a really excellent kind of, mimicking like culture and even social media where we are like these days in our assumptions and how they can get out of control um, and that we make conclusions quickly sometimes without the proper proof and there was just no way to stop this runaway train. No, it just kept and going. every time you thought maybe there was and you thought that maybe she was approaching right no, she doesn't and you're like this sounds so I can stressful. see it. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's incredibly just from well, moment to moment it just way. does not get oh, better you're yeah. waiting for that moment of catharsis where you know the case will be settled or somebody will take ownership for it or like plot twist it was the principal all along <laughs> you know no probably the best thing about the movie is you never actually get closure on what happened uh which is which is bananas for and a movie very like appropriate, this I think, character for this movie what's interesting too is that the main character this, this young teacher who you think is all full of you know being uh you know her, her morals and all that and always doing things right and you, you kind of feel for her and you think she's trying to approach her right but some of her decisions are not, not great. really well thought out. No. And she doesn't fully embrace some of the things she espouses. Mm-hmm. And there's this common theme of cynicism coming in. This is not an ad for becoming a teacher. No. This, <laughs> this does not no. portray it in a very great light. But not just because teachers suck, but because the system we built up and all the things you mentioned about just our, our society are kind of set in motion to prevent them from really doing the best uh, of their abilities to teach these kids. It's and so even the kids, there's a few that you really want to take to the woodshed, you know? <laughs> Smart kids, Smart well-intentioned kids. kids. Like That's the thing. Is like it, What I was about to say there is it kind of touches on mob mentality mm-hmm. because at one point the kids become this runaway train of okay. we are going to get to the truth. It's like you are children. Oh, when she goes to talk to the newspapers. No, yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah. So and, and the kids are like, we are in service of the truth. This is <laughs> yeah. this, this is they're repression smart. of the freedom of the press. You're like, oh. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is... <laughs> Uh, thank you both for, for bringing this to my day off. So that we 
<laughs> but it's, it's interesting though because everything we've said and, and Julie, maybe you're going like, I'm not sure this sounds like a fun watch. No, actually, it's you fascinating. Guys have <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad because it's a fascinating watch and just so engaging. This movie's a fun very layered yeah. and you can like you like you may think you know where it's going i promise you it will turn a hard left right when you don't expect it and they were just like you're left there with like i don't know what to tell these people like i got no answers go figure it out for your good luck um and this is uh germany's entry i think for the uh, uh foreign film oscars it was, it was a really i mean it was a really great year for international films um i'm, I'm still catching up um last night i watched the taste, of, the taste things? of things? Yes. I didn't so, see that. Oh, good my goodness. Oh, my dear. I was <laughs> so, good. so hungry when that was so, done. So um, yeah, it's been an incredibly... I mean, I, I feel like it's probably always an incredible year for international films. and It's just what happens to hit our particular mm-hmm. channels. Um, but yeah, but the thing, I, I was glad that you both had it. Um, not only that you both had it, but you had it in the same spot. Yeah. I was like, all right, I guess so we this. get extra picks. Then we get a bonus pick each. Right? <gasps> That's not know? how this works. Bob. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Teachers Lounge, Bob and Hillary both have it in the bronze medal position. Uh, I mentioned earlier that it was a great year for animation, um, and I'm going to be the person who uh, is going to bring the superheroes to the table. I could not let go of Across the Spider-Verse um, all these months later. I watched it again for the first time um, on Christmas Eve, actually. And this movie is far more beautiful than it needs to be like these movies really i mean sometimes they are just basically mailing it in and cashing their check um other times films are trying something different with story trying something different with um rendering or in this case both um a lot of my like four to one positions talk have themes of identity and that is all over across the spider-verse of you know key moments in how your life is supposed to go and how do you choose to embrace that or how do you choose to reject that and say no i am who i am regardless of what little box i'm supposed to fit in um the the team behind the spider-verse movies the first one was like eye-popping on its own i rewatched that afterwards they took all of that and just basically used it as a rough draft and for the second movie said we can do better and there are some there are some stills in this movie that stop my heart um specifically in the early going where gwen uh spider gwen who's a character that i care about a lot but specifically in the early going where spider gwen is talking to her father who's a cop and trying to try and explain who she is you know, again, kind of back in the Nimona thing of I'm Gwen, you know, like I, I, I know what you expect me to be, but this is what I am. Uh, Captain Stacy is back at the door and the scene is all dark and gray and blue and she hugs him and it dissolves almost like watercolor into pink. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, it, it's, I love this movie so much. Um, I know you two have both seen it. I have not seen You've it. not? Oh, I'm just projecting. Um, <laughs> you saw it. Oh, absolutely. Oh, it's, it's fantastic. Amazing creativity in just about every frame. Like, I'm not as invested in the superhero world. I'm not going to put down Marvel anything like that. I just, I you know, read comic books when I was a kid. Yeah. You know, older ones. Sure. I'm a smidge older than you. <laughs> um, so Spider-Man for me is from those comic books and the old, old TV series. Right. Just, it's just Spider-Man. Yep. 
So the whole multiverse thing throws me a bit from that point of view. But the absolute amazing creativity of every frame in this movie, uh, where the story goes, the characters that sort of jump in, the little funny bits off on the side, but they're kind of relevant too. They're not just there for the cultural kind of references. They're, they fit this universe, this multiverse they've created. And it's, it's absolutely fun and fascinating at the same time. There's a lot of storytelling going on in the way that a lot of these scenes are rendered that it's like blink and you'll miss it, you know, but, but there's a lot of, there was a lot of deep attention paid to things like color, mm -hmm. to things like uh, there's, there's the one, there's the one like spider punk. He'll be, Brown? He's one of the thing. Like one of the visual clues, him is because he would be a very DIY uh, Spider-Man. He's shot in like half half the speed. So if the rest of them are going at twenty four oh, frames right, a second, right, right. he's going at twelve yeah. because he's more DIY, right? Those kinds of that that kind of, like that does not need to be there, and yet it is, and it informs his character and his influence on Gwen and on everybody else. You dug this film as well, and I think we talked about yeah, it already. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I love the animation style in both of them, and they mm -hmm. keep pushing boundaries and finding new ways to visually tell stories, which I think is incredible. I didn't actually know going in that this was a part one, yeah. um, so I found the end very jarring. Um, <laughs> I was like, oh, how are they going to resolve all this in about... Mm, did, did not realize anything. <laughs> um, you know what? So watching, it, watching it again, it plays better as a chapter. <laughs> yes, so now I'm like, I, I do need to go back and watch it again, because I think I was sitting there for the last bit going, I don't know how they're going to resolve all this stuff. And like it, it that kind of played yeah. with me a little bit, um, not having that uh, notion. Uh, my partner actually went to the bathroom thinking there was more Whoops. Yeah, so but I, I do think that there's something to be said for being able to deliver new stuff with the animated format. I don't watch a heap of animation, truthfully. Uh, but these movies will also always stand out to me. I think just the, the last thing I, I'm going to say about it is the one thing I love is I am not a Buffy the Vampire Slayer person, but the, I know the one thing that happened when they finished with the TV show and moved the show into comics is they were suddenly untethered from a budget. You were limited only by your imagination. And that's something that the Spider-Man movies can do with animation that the live action superheroes cannot, um, even with the crazy budgets they throw at them, they can paint with such a broader palette because they're only limited by their imaginations. They don't have to worry about photorealism, about you know computer effects, and making it all match mm -hmm. to. Never have spider like that's what I'm saying, right? <laughs> exactly. So um, across the Spider-Verse, I can't wait to be on the Spider-Verse next year uh, and to see how this trilogy closes out and what it means for... Is that the final chapter? That is the final... That is... that will Of this trilogy, that sure. will be the final chapter. Where Sony goes with this group after that, no idea. They, they I mean, the thing about building a Spider-Verse is it's limitless. Right, like they've shown you by going into that eight headquarters where you have even like a cowboy Spider-Man and a dinosaur Spider-Man. You know, like they they have unlimited options that they can do. You know, they can do as big as small as they want. But with this particular little band of misfits, they're doing three. So you'll get one next year, and then where we go from that, I don't know. Where we go from here is a quick break before we come back with our runners up. Come on back uh, right after this. We'll be back with our number twos. Mm -hmm. 
We are back. It's time for our silver medals. Jolie Featherstone, believe this or not, you are the only person who put Oppenheimer in your top five. <laughs> I had a feeling that it was gonna be like zero to 100. Either everyone was gonna have it or no <laughs> one was gonna have it. I, I did struggle between the, my two and three slots. Um, Barbie and Oppenheimer. I struggled. Oppenheimer type of year. It really it was. was. Yeah. And you know what? Kudos to both films for getting people interested in the cinematic experience again. Um, whether it was, you know, people enjoying like the communal aspect of seeing Barbie um, or for Oppenheimer, like making the trek out maybe a little bit further than your normal uh, local theater, but to go see it like in IMAX or in 75 millimeter, like what have you. Um, both these films, I think just did a lot for cinemas this year. So I, I give them both a lot of love and credit for that. Christopher Nolan for me, I really loved um, Memento. And as much as I loved um, Inception and The Dark Knight, uh, again, like extremely well done films, he kind of like lost me a bit with those in the sense of I, I enjoyed them absolutely, respect respect to his, his work on these films, but they didn't necessarily like excite me in the same way that Memento did. Um, and I feel that with Dunkirk and now with Oppenheimer, those films to me kind of feel like that initial feeling I had watching Memento, like, oh, I'm excited by this. I'm excited by his choices here. Right. Um, so that's kind of what I felt with Oppenheimer. I absolutely was um, like, intrigued by his choices starting at the beginning of the film um, and how he characterizes this individual um, and then watching their sort of personal journey, but set within the context of, you know, American culture um, and sort of like the ethos of, of America and American yeah. politics. Um, yeah. I, I personally really, really enjoyed it. It was, it was for me, for sure going to be in my top five. I wasn't sure where it was going to land, but I think it worked its way to the second slot for me. Definitely. Uh, Miss Butler, Oppenheimer. Uh, again, could have been like anywhere, but I figured someone else would talk about yeah. it. So <laughs> you know what? That's, that's a good approach. Sometimes like if, if you're like everybody else mm -hmm. and their brother is going to be talking <laughs> about Oppenheimer or, uh, you know, whatever the big glossy films are, I want to use these spots to, point mm -hmm. people towards yeah. films and I kind of feel like, like Teacher's Lounge, then yeah. yeah. I and I, I'm always just like, you know, I see this right all the time. There is a difference to me between best films of the year and favorite films of the year. Yes. I, this yes. list is my favorite. Ooh, good I approach. I Oppenheimer like, in my top five best films Ooh. of the year. Um, and I just want to say I love Emily Blunt in this mm -hmm. movie. Oh my gosh, I'm yes. kind of happy to see is actually making some headway in like the awards talk because I figured mm -hmm. she was in she it. She wasn't so... really talked about very yeah. much yeah. initially. Right? And she's not it for terribly long. Mm -hmm. but I'm glad she's kind of getting her dues there because yes. I feel like she was she was great at it. She was. Um, and that moment of the scream that happens <sighs> yeah. um, in one scene yeah. has stuck with me yes. since I saw it. And I've only seen it once, but since I saw it. To the point, I love that you mentioned like that scream because I I watched it. So I, I bought the DVD. I actually bought Oppenheimer and Barbie from Bay Street Video at the same time. Yes. Like got my physical Geneva media of Barbenheimer. <laughs> and I remember like watch playing it and you know, we had our speakers up loud and everything. And like I had to like stop after I heard the scream. And I literally replayed from the very beginning of when he's walking in and had to watch it again. I don't know why, like it's such, it's such a powerful moment. And again, like I, I, I think like how he 
plays with like sound and visuals is what really excited me about even like the the sounds they use like like the like that kind of like crackly nuclear sound like mm-hmm. it keeps you very um like it feels very tactile in a way at times even though that's his jam yeah i felt very much like okay this is like like this is like scratching my itch for a prestige film, mm. but he's making a lot of the choices that excited me when he was doing things like Memento. Uh, yeah, I, I, I quite enjoyed it. I went into it with interesting expectations because my sister had seen it first and she had texted me saying, oh, three hours. Of <laughs> um, you know, she lopped off an hour of it. She really didn't like all the, the flips back to the the politics of it and sitting in that very very small room. sure sure and about halfway through the movie i was saying like yeah i think she's on to something this is kind of dragging and probably about two-thirds of the way through i totally flipped on it. i was like oh I, I for me it's like oh i think i get it as mm-hmm. he's trying to again in my own brain related to present day kind of things mm-hmm. and for me robert downey jr was the linchpin of this movie killing murphy was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. Robert Downey Jr. I think was the uh, the, the secret sauce of this movie mm-hmm. in the end. Um, so many great elements, the sound design, mm-hmm. all these moments to it. That's what kind of stays with me with this movie is is his arc, mm-hmm. his performance as well, and how yes. that I think relates to how politics kind of happens. It's what it's what counterweights the movie and and really gives it balance because it's like we know you are going to achieve this. Mm-hmm. We understand what the stakes are both you know internally within this project and externally to the world Mm -hmm. at large Mm -hmm. but to then just stop it Mm -hmm. and say and then everything was okay yeah you know would have done this movie a disservice it very much you know you brought up dunkirk a Mm -hmm. few times it's very much the similar trick to what he did in dunkirk like you know the three weeks three days three hours Mm -hmm. interlocking circles it's that again, but in a in a better way of balance to give you both the cause and then the effect. I <laughs> was kind of preparing to hate this movie because I've kind of had enough of Nolan Bros. <laughs> um, Nolan Nolan really rubbed me the wrong way uh, with Tenet when it was you must see it in a theater. This must play in a theater, especially during COVID. Yeah, and I'm like. Okay, so I saw it. I'm like, this movie's this movie's not. It's not incomprehensible, but this movie's a mess. Mm-hmm. And you got to make it because you're Christopher Nolan. So I was like, I was really prepared. I was going into it very skeptical. Um, but yeah, I same same as everybody here. I I came away really quite enamored with it. Um, I'm a little bit perplexed with the IMAX because it seems to pop in and out at whim. Uh, but other than that, no, this is, this is a great movie. Like you said. It's not my favorite movie of the year, which is why it didn't make my top five because I wanted to like give that time to things like Nimona. Um, but it, it's a great film. If this film wins Best Picture in a few months, I won't be surprised. Or yeah, but a film that is great, and I'm so happy that you brought it here because boy, there is a lot to talk about in this movie, as Hillary Butler will attest, uh, and hopefully Jolie uh, Featherstone as well. Bob, let's talk about some poor things. I don't even know where we start with this. I don't know where we start with this thing. <laughs> uh, I mean, Jolie, did you see it? I know Hillary has because she saw it with me. This is one of my most me. anticipated films of the year, and I still haven't seen it. Okay. So, can we pause? A... Let's all go to the theater. Yeah. 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 I, I, I actually was trying I to actually, see if my schedule. I have a link. We can just, like, just go upstairs. Let's be happy to see it again. Um, Yorgos Lanthimos, I mean, part of it is do you really vibe with his vision, mm-hmm. with, with how he brings his own style and oddness and weirdness to his stories? 
I absolutely do. I, yes. at the very least, really like, if not love, everything he's done, at least that I've seen going back to Dogtooth, Alps, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but this is kind of a step beyond, not from the style point of view, with all the like really wide lenses. Emma Stone is absolutely out of this world in this movie. But let's take a step back and just kind of talk about the premise of the movie, hmm. which can be very controversial. It should not work. I've read a lot of takes where it's like, I completely understand your desire to have nothing to do with this movie. I get it. And I can only speak from a, a male's perspective. So I, I would very much like to hear other perspectives on this too. But from my point of view, um, her sort of getting a chance to have us the second life. I love the way it plays with the fact that as a woman, she's kind of like, I'm just going to go out there and take what I need and enjoy things. And of course, sex is a huge part of that. It's a lot more than I thought it was going to be. No <laughs> kidding. And I know there's been some discussion as to why that's an issue. And, and I think that's a great discussion point. But again, from my point of view, I look at it and say, if you're a woman, I can only imagine what it would have been like in those times, although this is kind of almost a parallel universe, mm. of being a woman in a very patriarchal society. Uh, well, where's my power lie? Well, that would be one place, right? She's seeking pleasure. Obviously, you're going to get it there. But then you realize you've got some power. And of course, you're going to like, well, if you're going to hold me down, I'm going to exploit this power. And I, I just love how it plays with that and just her reactions to that. It's, it's not a matter of now I control things, but it's kind of like, well, now I can live my life and I can explore the world and learn about it and all the good and not so great things that she comes across as well. Yeah. And it's funny as hell. To yeah. Times. Uh, Hillary and I saw it together just a few weeks ago. Uh, we, we walked away from it. We're like, well, that happened. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, I you know I you liked it. I know that much. I liked it, um, and I've had the chance to kind of think about some of those themes and stuff mm. they're like talking about. And I think, and actually, you said something afterwards where you're like, if, kind of the point where the fact that she evolved so quickly kind of makes the sexual element okay. You're in essence at the beginning dealing with a baby in a in a woman's body, so that maybe also comes with innocence, and that's where she starts everything from she doesn't have the learnings of a society that is telling her that sex is bad and she's you know a whore if she sleeps around and that she shouldn't like be okay with her body like she she's coming at it from a stage where she literally grows from like a baby to a woman and like i don't know how long the time frame is but it's a very short period of time so she doesn't have that influence to her character and so i've seen some comments and they're like oh this is not a feminist movie this is like but I'm like, it's not, maybe, but at the same time, like, how would we all be if we didn't have these things placed upon us and these expectations and societal expectations that we very slowly grow up to believe, yeah. whereas she comes through it so well, she quickly even, that she she's like, I don't see an issue with this. She even says in the movie, like, after having sex, she's kind of like, why don't people do this all the time? Yes. Yeah. Now, there's pragmatic reasons, but there's also societal kind of influence yes. on that. So... I mean, it is used as that kind of metaphor, and it's it's a dangerous one that you got to skirt around. I think it works, and it worked like gangbusters. I agree. Fun. This is again, like you know, um, pipeline. I think I had in my number six spot. This is number seven. Um, this was a really great year for movies. There were a, like, I know Hillary, you really struggled to mm -hmm. to lock down five, and I said to you, like, 
it could change from day to day because yeah. it was such a really good year, like, you know, within like 20 to one that yeah. you could really just spin them. You know, like I, I, mean, I, I can, I can find a reason to put Oppenheimer in my top five. I absolutely can. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not saying like somebody's nuts to put it there. Um, it's just, it's sometimes you just kind of got to go with what affected you the most. Poor things affected me like crazy. Like there is a lot in that movie that I'm going to, absolutely take away and hold on and keep for a long time and i can't wait to revisit it mm -hmm. um yorgos is such an interesting story because there's a lot of international filmmakers that when they make the jump to the american system they kind of lose that bite mm -hmm. that they had and yorgos is not doing that between killing of a sacred deer the favorite poor things um a lot of his he's not quite as rough around the edges as he was with stuff like dog tooth like he's working on a much more handsome aesthetic mm -hmm. but what the stories he wants to tell and the darkness that he wants to visit and sit with us in for two hours is still very much there but let's talk about the humor too i mean I, I, it's once, hilarious once again, there's a there's a dance sequence and Mark yes like, Mark Ruffalo is fantastic in this. Like amazing. The, the dancing he, is great. My, he one of my favorite Ruffalo lines. yells a curse word, <laughs> which is not a curse word that I personally use. No. But the way he yells, it will be a gift that I use. <laughs> No. Silent one, but still. No, I will. I will have, like, and, and I will probably never use it towards any of my female friends. I will use it towards you. Okay, okay. But I'm sure. But it is when he does it. It is hysterical. It's like it should be. It really should be terrible. But it's so funny. Even funnier than that for me was one of my favorite lines of the year was. I'm going to go punch that baby. Yes. <laughs> Just and you know catch attention. And, <laughs> and I think anybody, most people, parents and not parents, would go like, yeah. yeah. And also when she was like, why do I keep this in my mouth? If I don't think this is good. And I was just, yeah. she just spits it out. Again, that's where she comes from, a place of innocence where she doesn't know that things are wrong. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so how do you learn about a world quickly when you are trying from a blank slate? And it's well, so handsome. Travel, sex, <laughs> and like, like, these are the things yeah. that inform you. Yeah. Um, and dance. Always dance. And always dance. And dance. Well, you're right. This is a gorgeous movie. <laughs> yes. He does, you know, that, that wide angle. A lot of people say, oh, it's just like Terry Gilliam. He, he does, does a lot, lot of wide angles. And like, wide if you're going to a Yorgos movie, expect wide angles sure. and tracking shots. Sure. But it's beautiful beyond that. There's yeah. There's kind of interstitial kind of like chapter thing. Mm -hmm. like the slow motion. Black and white. Light. Oh, yeah. Wow. You're yes, in for a great like, time. I am so <laughs> Color like schemes mm -hmm. and like he, he kept on the, the, the color palettes are beautiful. And, like, and, and Hannah Shagula is in this, the, the great German actress from some of the Fassbender films, like The Bitter Tears of Von, uh, Petra von Kant, The Marriage of Maria Brown, two of my favorite Fassbender Is she films. the madam? Yeah. She is so good. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, like, I, I recognize her right away. I'm not, she you know, is like, so like, good. Her like, conversations I mean, with Bella are so frank. I love her as an actress and her scenes with Bella, which yes. is absolutely wonderful oh. she just took her face value yeah it's like oh this is just wonderful so refreshing in that like she was open to like you have these different ideas yeah let's talk about this yeah no i loved it i think emma stone and him just did another film together i'm Lawrence. hearing they're looking so, to continue their collaboration so they yeah. have like for yeah, yeah. she was on smart list this week if anyone listens to that podcast and she's like yeah we were in new orleans we shot already it's uh, i i'm 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 totally here for the yorgos emma emma yeah. 
uh, partnership. Um, so Hillary, you have this film at number two. Uh, Bob had it earlier on in the show, so now it's the time that we can really dig in. And I can't remember, Jolie, I think you haven't seen this one yet. Uh, but let's talk about The Holdovers. No? I have not. I okay, so let's talk about The Holdovers. Oh, I just want to say, like, I don't think we've ever had, like... <laughs> Films overlap. Yeah, um, so I need more arguments on this show. <laughs> I know. Uh, I mean, Meeting I'm, the minds. I don't really know what to say that Bob hasn't already said. He already described the movie, so we don't need to go. Well, on. you don't know how I'm going to edit it, so please go ahead. Uh, <laughs> I just, I honestly think this is a film that's become like a new holiday classic for me, and something I'm going to probably re- revisit. Like, Hell yeah. On an basis. Yep. yep. Um, I do find that coziness and warmth with it. You know, it, it it's there. I don't think the film itself is cozy, but but it yeah. makes sense for somebody and to kind of say that. About it has it. a yeah. lot of heart without being overly sentimental. I mean, this basically film, they find family where you don't think family should exist and family comes in all shapes and sizes and they kind of form this great little core group. Um, and I will say, Carrie Preston, because I love her, is on the outskirts of that little group. And I just think she brings like just light and joy to everything that she does. So I just have to give her some some props. The way that all the characters develop, they all have very complete character arcs. You're not like you see everyone's evolution in this movie, um, which I really appreciated because sometimes some characters just get you know dropped or lost by the wayside, or they're not developed terribly well. And that's not the case in this film. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know what else to say that you haven't already said. He gives so just... much depth to those three main characters. Yeah, that it, it, it's absolutely remarkable. I think from that point of view. Yeah, yeah. I also, mean, can it... we talk about Paul Giamatti's eye for a minute? So <laughs> yeah. I was in the movie and I was like, has he always had a weird eye? Did I just not notice <laughs> right, that he had right. a weird eye? So he has a weird like glass eye in this movie, which is like. A, a, kind of recurring jokey kind of so theme. when when we had our podcast that that was my <laughs> takeaway was that you know there's a moment in the movie where he asks where i think the the young uh um boy asks you know which like which eye do i look at yeah uh and <laughs> my takeaway is like i picked i picked wrong yeah. but apparently they they flip the eye during the movie like i guess it's a prosthetic or it's a uh, you know contact or something, something. Like that. Yeah. yeah so i think they flipped it during the movie so it's kind of like i feel better now because I didn't, I, did, I didn't know he actually I, I mean what I what I like about it I'm not sure if that's true to be honest. what I like in that moment is he says the, the exchange goes it's this one he goes I would have guessed wrong and he goes most people do you know I, I just I love that little shorthand of something you can take away from that movie um, what I love most about this movie is this very easily could have turned into pastiche it very very easily could have turned into let's make a 70s looking movie that doesn't actually have anything to say but it, you know, weren't the seventies cool. You and I have talked about why I don't like Quentin Tarantino anymore. Mm. And a lot of it is because he thinks so many old things are cool and he just wants to drop them into his movies to make his movies cooler. This is the opposite of that. This is let us set something here and explore what was good about the era, what was bad about the era, why that era makes this story work. You know, it, it very easily could have been, was it Hal Ashby awesome? <laughs> but that's not, like, he doesn't want to make a Hal Ashby-esque movie. He wants to make an Alexander Payne movie in the style of Hal Ashby. Yeah, yeah. And that is what makes this movie and that, That's a great point. I think, and, and I mentioned it too, and I think everybody has it. This is very much a throwback to the Hal Ashby type of 70s movies. But you're right. It's not mimicking them. I think no. it's embracing 
the aesthetic as well as the uh, the, the writer's angle. Like he wrote amazing yes. characters. If he How does not, he wrote if he does not use the seventies aesthetic, like if he doesn't use the soundtrack and the yeah, look yeah, and yeah. the the credits and all that noise, it still works. Absolutely. You know, if he still yeah. renders it, why is there issues? No, no, no. But what I'm saying is, like he can tell a nineteen seventies set story through a modern lens and make it, you know, handsome and it will still work. You know, that's, that's fine. Everything on everything within the construction still works. It's just that kind of, that's the secret sauce that really takes it from, Oh, that's cool to wow. And this movie is beautiful as well. It is. So much of it is shot in very bright white snow. And some Mm -hmm. of it should have incredible light. That's all real snow. Yeah, but it is. It's that slushy kind of snow. It's not that fake, you know, studio. It's like, no, they waited for that. And yet it it should, because the 70s is not a handsome era. Yeah. Right? Like, there's a lot of really ugly style. Stop it. There's a really a lot of ugly style. (laughs) I had my moments in the 70s. In the 70s. But, I mean, it, it makes it all look very... Wonderful and, and warm. I want to say, uh, to me, Joy, uh, Randall, Randall, say yes, um, yeah, when all of the things, yes, please, um, absolutely, oh, absolutely. Um, just a remarkable character, remarkable performance, uh, great arc for her as well. Yeah, yeah I think no, we, no, we, we set off. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, no. last thing about the movie though is one of the best football throws I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, absolutely, uh, love it. I I, I want to give of that too. I, again, I, I always come back to my conversation with my son, but he was saying that uh, what's so great about it is that you you're anticipating how bad his throw is going to be, and yet, and when, and yet it's worse than you think it's going to be, and he has this weird thing with the leg, and the ball stays in frame. It's absolutely perfect. It's wonderful. <laughs> I can't like Hillary, like you said, like I can't wait to start adding this to my Christmas. Repertoire. I am much more about the what I call non-Christmas Christmas movies. So stuff like your Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, your Eyes Wide Shut, those kinds of things. A little bit of Black Christmas thrown in there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So this will like you know I'm like I, I I yeah Elf will work its way in there, but like these are the ones that I really want to watch in December. So I can't wait to add this in. Uh, my number two is Miss Featherstone's number one. So I'm just going to say that this movie is awesome, and we will tell you why right after this when we get into our top films of the year. All right, the time has come. Enough gilding the lily. It is time for our top films of the year. Uh, and as I just mentioned, my number two is Jolie Featherstone's number one. Uh, I, I know that Hilary Butler has seen this movie. I'm not sure Bob Turnbull has seen this movie. But uh, Jolie, let us talk about the pure force of nature that is Ava DuVernay's origin. How do I even describe such a film? Greta Gerwig had described Little Women as she wanted it to be footnotable, and I 
feel like you could apply that to origin as well and not in like a very literal sense right sort of like somewhat adapted uh from that book but start by telling people what it's about because yeah with the world at large it's actually not out yet so we got to see it at tiff yes um and it's gonna be like it's made it's like uh, award qualifying rounds in like New York and Los Angeles. But yeah. tell people what this movie is about because I actually feel like it's getting undersold. I agree. It is um, taking a look at the book um, Cast, The Origins of Discontent. Did I get the name right? Um, which was like bestseller many, several times over. Um, and it's a film that is not exactly like a cinematic adaptation of the book. It's more like an exploration of the author and researcher's um, creation from literally just just the seeds of this concept of her thesis um, and then how she undergoes research to actually kind of reach her thought um, and, and actually write this book. Um, meanwhile, we're also seeing kind of like the personal journey that she undertakes as she puts this vast, vast thesis together. Um, So in the midst of like incredible loss and incredible grief, she still finds a way to move forward in creating this book, which is, you know, again, not only a many times over bestseller, it's, it's, you know, being added to school curriculums. It's definitely changing. And banned from some of them. And And it's, it truly was a book that changed a lot of kind of hitherto conversations around race, class um, in North America, but also like internationally. So um, it's a very interesting film in that it's not like a straight up adaptation. Um, You feel very privy to some extremely personal moments of, um, this uh, this author and researcher, um, but we also get to see sort of like very cinematic dramatizations of historical moments that the um, author researches that help kind of build up her thesis. Um, it's absolutely incredible. I I agree. It's being a little bit like undersold and underseen, which is a big problem. <laughs> Hillary, I know you saw this at TIFF as well. I did, and I uh, just finished listening to the audiobook, which I also nice. highly recommend yeah. everybody to listen to. Absolutely. And this is where I was surprised that it actually was being touted as an original screenplay, because mm-hmm. I would say that there's a lot of moments in the movie that are actually directly depicted mm-hmm. So her, like, uh, interaction with the plumber mm-hmm. um, in the house, her whole idea of this caste system how she metaphorically represents it as a house is directly from the book. There's there's many moments that are in that film. Yeah. But as I was listening to the audiobook, I was like, oh, this is a scene in the movie. Oh, this is a scene in the movie. It, it usually comes down to guild rules. It's a weird yeah. thing. The guild a portion of the script is adopted. Something, adopted. yeah, or yeah, and that's the thing. They looked at the script and they're like, enough of this is original that it's an original screenplay. And I get that, like, you know, she's a, a, adapting in my terms a fictional version of a non-fiction work. Mm-hmm. Probably nobody better to do it than someone who has lived on both sides mm-hmm. of, you know, behind that camera. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, documentary work to fiction work. And I think she does it beautifully. I love this movie. Yeah. Um, I really, really enjoyed the audiobook. And mm-hmm. I think I hopefully learned a lot and took some stuff in that will shape my ideas and life moving forward. And I think and hope that that's what people will take away from the movie yeah. as yeah. well when it gets to be seen on a wider scale. I don't know, maybe Neon's saving all their 
I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm not sure if they're just like hoping to make a late play or yeah. something, but the, the clock is ticking now. Yeah. Um, Bob, did you catch up with Origin? No, I have not. No. I mean, I I was I am a big fan of Ava DuVernay's work. Um, Selma was my favorite film of that year. I had read Cast mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> during pandemic lockdown and layoffs. So talk about being in a great mindset for that book. <laughs> um, and I genuinely did not know mm-hmm. how you could adapt that book. Like that is one of the things that is explored within the movie is how do you even parse this thesis into a digestible book, right? Her editor goes at her a few times saying, yeah. I understand what you're telling me in concept. I don't know how you make this digestible to the average reader. Ingenue Ellis Taylor is the actor. We last saw her in King Richard. Um, she's she, absolutely she is, she, Oh yeah, I, she's incredible. Style. She plays Isabel Wilkerson in this, in this movie. And that is one of the core challenges for her. How to take this very intangible concept like the caste system, not racism. Like everybody understands racism. That's that's simple saying like no this goes beyond that this goes beyond this goes to the level where you can go to a country like rwanda and have two groups of people that to the naked eye look like they should be on the same side of a racist conversation and yet there is a divide how do you explain this and that's how she gets into the cast well i mean it applies to you know indian culture as well if you go to india, guess what there's yeah. levels of- that comes up <laughs> yeah we, well, we yeah we go to we go to we go to I, india I gotta say, yeah. i'm not surprised about that and it's huge and it's both beautiful and deeply unsettling at the same time yeah um ava duvernay's camera is not afraid mm-hmm. to go there yeah you know like there is there is some really unsettling things that you see in this movie um, it's all rendered so gorgeously. And uh, I wanted to make a point to uh, how you said, because I feel just visually the film gives weight to very sort of um, like cerebral ideas or ideas that we all maybe have some sort of like, I'm almost like an intangible understanding. Like, like you said, having this notion of caste, I think we can all kind of understand caste in terms of like oppression, but how do you actually give weight to that? Which mm-hmm. is obviously what she, as a, as a writer, struggles with putting this, uh, you know, uh, onto paper. But even just visually within the film, how Ava DuVernay shoots structures, both like interiors and exteriors, it it physically gives like a weight and a structure to the um, kind of ideas as uh, Isabel Wilkerson goes through. It almost becomes like a layered, or like as you said, like as a house. Um, it's so masterfully done like the camera is fearless we see things that it feels that we it's it's un, it's truly uncomfortable and unsettling to watch we start we start the film following trayvon martin mm-hmm. so if anybody is is wants to know what we're getting into like mm-hmm. that's where we're going yeah. um you know we have talked about a lot and you have brought a lot of wonderful films to the table today what was it about origin though that really stuck it as your number one I just think it's an incendiary film, like, uh, and I think it just comes down to how, again, Ava DuVernay took such a, you know, kind of a complex <laughs> uh, job, so to speak, and put it so beautifully in film. Um, I was lucky enough that I got to see it uh, at TIFF, and it was sort of like a late entry. Like, I got an email saying, "Oh, by the way, we've added this. It's, it's playing tomorrow." It's very yeah. weird, yeah. And so I was like, 
oh, I do Ava DuVernay's film. Cool. I was I was able to to get the time off and go see it. Um, I brought my friend. We watched it. There was absolutely not a dry eye in the cinema by the end. Um, we were also very very fortunate to be able to have Ava DuVernay there in person to discuss it afterwards and being able to get kind of just like some of the behind the scenes uh, experiences that she had filming this because it truly is it's it's epic it is grand at like to like textbook definition of like a grand film um and the way that she talked about you know preparing for this film and supporting folks on set um it just really was eye-opening how she could make something of this stature um and yet it's very humanistic they're just down from the smallest moments of the film to how it was actually made and handled on set as well um this film is something that will stay with me for a very long time and as i said like it was it was real close. Like on a different day, this and my number one could be flipped. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a powerful movie. I really am looking forward to more people um, finding it in the year ahead. Uh, thank you for bringing it today. Uh, Bob Turnbull. Okay, buddy. You've been doing so well so far. <laughs> oh, no. All right. Oh, that's right. That's right. You're wrong. That's right. <laughs> well, you're not wrong, but you do surprise me. Uh, because your number one is a film I liked, I didn't love, and I'm interested to hear how it ended up at your top spot. So, Bob Turnbull, please take us to Asteroid City. I'll start by saying I, I do love Wes Anderson. As do I. Um, I, I love his aesthetic. Ladies, um, Wes Anderson? Yes, and this was one of my most anticipated <laughs> and I haven't seen it. So okay. yeah. uh, I, I just rewatched it two days ago with, with, uh, with my family. Uh, I want to watch it again immediately thereafter. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I just really cemented my number one. Um, I love its aesthetic um, for all the twee of it. Uh, I hate when people use that term. It's not, not that not twee. Because, no, it, not, this one isn't. I don't think it's aesthetic is either. I, I think it's a silly, reductive term for his aesthetic. I get that it is an aesthetic and mm-hmm. it's very consistent. It's very him. But he's only done 10, 11 films. So... Shut up. <laughs> Hundreds of movies a year. Eleven of them can, can look like this. But but this looks gorgeous. This is funny. This has a cast of actors and actresses that are out of this world. But it's, it, it's the emotional piece that really resonates with me. And I'll get that in a second. It also has this metal here. I mean, it's a TV program of a stage play, of a film, of a theatrical kind of play that this guy wrote. It's also based on a cereal box that was adapted by a comic book. (laughs) But it's talking about the art of of storytelling and really bringing in this element of grief. And and, and I've seen this in a bunch of reviews and a lot of people are like, oh, it's all about grief. It kind of is. And, And I think Wes Anderson really does a great job of touching on grief in really wonderful emotional ways. Go back to Royal Tenenbaums. When near the end of the movie, Ben Stiller says to, to his dad, I've had a hard year. Just the way he says that, boom, the entire movie right there in that one scene. And Anderson has that in a number of the movies where you can find these emotionally resonant scenes in like two seconds. Yeah. But it hits on a number of levels here with, with, with some of the characters, primarily Augie, the main character in, in one of these levels, who's portrayed by an actor who is still dealing with the grief of the loss of his own lover and trying to relate that to the play. And he's struggling with this at times. 
And it's really interesting how that relates to the whole scene of the, you can't wake up if you don't fall asleep. Or part of it is kind of saying, let the dreams come, let these ideas come, or let them wash over you, and then take what you can from that and move forward with, with, with your life. It sounds way too easy and reductive on that sense as well, but I love this idea of you have to try and get past these traumatic elements by grappling with them in some way, whether it's through storytelling, whether it's through your dreams, whether it's through talking to somebody, uh, and then moving forward with that. Everybody in this movie, I think, is, is reading Wes Anderson's lines in the same Wes Anderson way, but with their own little ability. You know, right. people like Tom Hanks, Hope Davis, I think the first time she's Maya in the Hawk. Role. Maya Hawk, um, Rupert Friend. I think they're all first time. Margot Robbie. Just great. It's just great, Ryan. Hillary <laughs> <laughs> Butler. Ryan's face is saying other things. I haven't seen this movie because, you know, again, I can take really Wes Anderson, truthfully. I did enjoy Henry Sugar. Which I watched that today because yeah. Bob wanted to talk about that too. Uh, I, I'm gonna, I'm if gonna, I let I'm him, and now he's going to <laughs> see what you did. So I, I'm sorry. I was going to come back to it. Don't worry. Um, um, I, I think it's more than clever, but but um, yeah. I actually I enjoyed Henry Sugar more. Um, Asteroid City. It's not bad. It's really like, it, it's it's not no no really and truly like uh, Anderson for me has kind of been taking a little bit of a walk since Grand Budapest Hotel. And he's walked to some interesting places, but none of them have really worked to the level that he wants them to work. Asteroid City is getting closer, but he's still not completely there for me. We talked um, with our mutual friend, Mike Lane, on the Flowers of the Killer Moon episode of this show about how when a director gets to a certain level in their career, they're competing against themselves. Anderson is there. Anderson has had several masterpieces over the course of his career. Um, I know you love this. This is not one for me. This is a very good film. Uh, it's one of his better films, yes. But it's not, like uh, to me, not on the level of Grand Budapest Hotel or Moonrise, Moonrise Kingdom. Rise Kingdom. Uh, or certainly of um, Royal Tenenbaums. Um, Which are my three other favorites. Right, right. It's very good. And I think... I feel like there was another for me, for me, for me, for me. I feel like there was another pass of the script that would have tightened it up a little bit and got some of those ideas of grief closer to the surface. I don't even know that it necessarily needed that two layers deep thing. You could have just stayed in Asteroid City. I love the meta level of it because it really ties into the usefulness and the art of storytelling. Sure. Um, there's a number of ways to approach that, and, and I am biased towards meta. Yeah. I, I like meta type things in movies. Right. Um, they can go way, you know, too far. I I think he uses perfectly well. I don't want this tightened up. No, in my opinion. I no, I'm not saying tightened up, but I'm just saying I think there's another pass where a different approach to the story. Enough, kind of, yeah, that, that is your opinion. As yes. long as it is. Oh, geez. I, <laughs> well, this has been the matinee cast. For <laughs> me. <laughs> For me, personally, my opinion is, no, I, I love the script as it is. Right. I, I, I kind of want more from I want to find out more of each of those individual stories. <laughs> I think that's a good thing about this movie. It makes me want more from these characters. It makes me invested in them, even though I've only had very small time with someone because of all those layers. And I'm still invested with Hope Davis and her daughter. Yeah. Like kind of like, where does that relationship go? Yeah. What, what happens with Maya Hawk and her new cowboy boyfriend? 
or, or is he? I'm not sure. Will they stay in touch? That's right. That could be frustrating. But he does land, for me, the main character points, the main story elements, but he also brings so much more to it. Um, and, I, and I love the aesthetic. Uh, the colors in this movie are absolutely fantastic. Yes. Oh, yeah. I it's it's handsome. It is great. It is. And if you've never seen a Roadrunner dance to the song <laughs> Freight Train, it's it's a it's a wonder I mean, it's a wonder the yeah, the yeah. so uh just like i asked jolie about origin what in the end of the day uh like we talked about a lot of great movies today what was it about asteroid city that landed it at the top of your own list i smiled all the way through this movie there's nothing wrong with that um from the music you know the the alexander's blood score which is extraordinarily simple but mm-hmm kind of effective and, and is very just it shifts he does bit. different things i like yeah that. but it, it just it shifts kind of very gradually and then there's like the the bluegrass kind of score the, yep. the opening uh, song about the i think it's the train of san fernando last train of san fernando uh the freight train song at the end it's just wondrous uh the production design the acting the the little jokes the all those elements about grief the layers of storytelling the use of, of meta uh brian cranston is great in this movie because even though he has that one kind of fun fun scene where he's like, am I not in this scene? Which is very, you know, kind of outside of of the movie and for some people to take you out. But again, it sort of hits in all these layers because there's a moment where even Augie leaves the stage, leaves like the film, which is actually the stage, to kind of go in the back and talk to the director of the stage. Yeah. So it's, it's a little bit of fourth wall kind of breaking, which I know a lot of people don't like. I think fits with all of what he's using here. He's gotten all the tools to really pull this together. Hillary Butler. Yeah. Hi, Barbie. Hi. Let's let's talk about this opus. Uh, I mean, Greta Gerwig was already like high up on my list of cinematic heroes with Lady Bird and Little Women and yeah. And just even just listening to her in interviews and stuff. She's just a down to earth, like cool person. Kate McKinnon, Who's weird Barbie was her like <laughs> my girl crush. Oh my gosh, love that she's in this movie. Um, yeah, so I don't roommates? know. Did, did you say they were roommates? Yes, they were roommates. I did not know that. Yeah, so that's awesome. Little fact. You know, listen to Smart List, they tell you that's <laughs> um, Yeah, I can't say, I mean, I don't rewatch movies very often. I've seen Barbie four times. And I will, you know, agree with Julie, I was not a Barbie person when I was younger. I had a gem doll, and I was exceedingly angry that Barbie's clothes never fit her. <laughs> so that that was what I <laughs> I wasn't a Barbie person. Um, so I didn't really know what to expect from this film. Um, the trailer where they released basically that opening sequence, the 2000 Space Odyssey sequence, I knew we were in for something a little bit different and mm-hmm. thinking outside of the Barbie box, so to speak. Um, and it was great, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and as soon as we hear Lizzo basically narrating through her super fun song all of these things that Barbie's thinking and doing and stuff in that first sequence, I was sold. Like, and every time I watch this film, I pick up a little something, a little nuance, a little thing in the production design mm-hmm. that amazes me. The costuming's great. The film looks great. Margot Robbie can't be any more perfect. Except for her if small world in Asteroid City, by the way. Well, but she could be a more perfect Barbie, which, I mean, they also make fun of because yeah. of the fact that, you know, and I will give Mattel a little bit of credit. 
they did have like some influence over this film and they did allow her to take a step back and make some comments about the Barbie world that were not overly flattering mm -hmm. to Barbie or their influence on how women see themselves. Um, and I, I appreciated that, um, that they like let Greta Gerwig and Noah, Noah Baumbach um, kind of have that mention because they're right. Barbie has had a lot of cultural influence. Mm -hmm. No one can ever attain her, you know, Barbie shape. And I found it really interesting how they framed this movie and that the Barbies think they fixed everything in the mm -hmm. world because we brought feminism to the forefront and everything's equal. And when she like sees how this world is like the opposite, it, it all comes kind of crashing down. Mm -hmm. And I, the moment where they walk in the boat or roll in, I guess, on the rollerblades, <laughs> and Ryan Gosling's like, people are looking at me and it feels great. And she's like, <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't, and he's like, it doesn't feel violent at all. And she's like, there's always the undertone of violence. And I think as a woman, there's something to, that speaks to you in a different way and a different lens, which is why you needed someone like Greta Gerwig to direct this. Um, there's multiple moments in this movie that make me cry. <laughs> it makes me laugh. There's great music. There's dancing. What is not to like? There's nothing not to like about Barbie. <laughs> Bob, we didn't really chime in about Barbie back when Jolie had it at her earlier pick. What, how, did, how did Barbie play? I enjoyed the crap out of it, absolutely. I mean, for just about everything you just said. Um, beyond the fact that it's just entertaining. Yeah. It's just straight up entertaining. Um, Ryan Gosling, I think, is hilarious <laughs> oh, in this. Fantastic. But also he's acting his ass off mm -hmm. in that role. Um, the way he understands patriarchy. <laughs> I love the fact that a lot of people really read that wrong, uh, and, and everything else about this too. The, just the the intelligence I think that she brought to the script. I, I think the latter part of it just dims a little bit for me because it's a little bit more plot focused. But I don't care. It's, it, it, they've set up this great world. I want to live in it. I want to go back to it. So when we went to the real world. I was like, kind of want to go back yeah. to Barbie. The Ken world or the Barbie world? Come on, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> Do you need a beer whiskey? <laughs> a lot of Matchbox 20. Um, yes. A Godfather reference, can we talk about that? Was, that, that, was, that was, I died. That was just end scene. Like, we could end the movie right here and I would have been up. Have, have you lived that moment? Uh, what woman hasn't lived okay. that moment? I'm genuinely asking. I'm, I'm like, also a film student. Yes. Or was a film yeah. student. I lived through many such moments. Of and often from guys in the same grade, like same yeah. year as me, right. mansplaining films that I saw many years prior. So yeah, I have lived I that. You're, what you're missing years. from the scene. <laughs> oh, flashbacks. Um, <laughs> sorry. No, no, you're good, you're good. Um, but I wanted to talk about how you mentioned like the world itself, like the production design. Again, I think like Barbie works on so many levels because it is so layered. Like someone could watch it for pure like entertainment. It's super funny. It's super engaging and fun. Um, but there's so many layers that it could be watched. And when you um, like peel back each one, it just becomes a richer and richer experience. And one of the parts of that is the, the physical world that they live in. I was reading an article about um, like Barbie land and of course the Mojo Dojo Casa houses. Um, <laughs> the, like the actual, um, like the architects behind these houses, they were like, we need to make them true to life. Uh, a Barbie home is open. Um, there are no staircases. Like a Barbie doll cannot walk up a staircase. So, you know, 
they had to think, okay, well, when uh, young people play with Barbies, they just kind of like float them up and around through the house. How do we actually build a structure that can actually stand up and support a human being without like support beams and staircases? And they made it work. Like there's so much um, thought put into how do we build this world and make it Resonate. Um, imagination. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so exactly what you needed when you played with these things. Yeah. 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 Brought that to life. Um, I may botch this, but Greta Gerwig talked about she had a commitment to what she called genuine artifice. Mm -hmm. um, and if I've got this wrong, I will put the actual quote in the show notes. But the idea that, okay, yeah, the background is a scrim, but it's a hand painted scrim mm -hmm. that's in there deliberately. It's not just like you say, like computer rendered in there. It's real and it's part, like it's tactile, even if it's fake. It's the same reason why when the car is rolling, they're using the, the, the track yeah. underneath them to kind of skim past well, the, exactly, yeah. the cactus is nothing. Greta Gerwig um, used that as a callback to, and this is one of the reasons why I love her direction in this, because she is steeped Mm -hmm. in in film history and mm -hmm. film lore mm -hmm. she used that as a callback to like Paul and Pressburger mm -hmm. so she looked at like she, one of the movies that she used as a companion piece to Barbie is she said go watch the red shoes mm -hmm. and there's going to be a scene in the red shoes where they're out on a piazza and they're looking off into the sunset and it's like it's a painted sunset <laughs> to them it's real mm -hmm. and to Paul and Pressburger it's real but it's like that is an absolutely fake sunset I remember her talking about yeah. that too and I think she mentioned Black Narcissus as well yeah like yeah, films. that is those kinds of things like that, like references to like this movie, like, you know, this movie's got references to everything from 2001 to Singing in the Rain to you know, like there are so many classic films referenced in this movie that again, let us be clear, did not need to be there. This movie was going to make money, mm -hmm. but the fact that it is there is what gives it that boost mm -hmm. and shows that Greta and her team were always like, it's like this is silliness, but all of this silliness is very serious work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, they were very met like methodical about what they chose to include and how they included it. Yeah, I think it's important too that that all those filmic references they brought in weren't just because hey, we love singing in the rain, let's get somebody in there, mm -hmm. dance with right. Uh, it was relevant to mm -hmm. the story or the world that they were building. Yeah, but they pulled from their knowledge of film history to do. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Um, Hillary, as I was asking Jolie and Bob, this landed at your number one spot. There's usually always a personal reason behind the academic placing. Why? What was it about Barbie that that had it stand at number one for you? Yeah, I mean, besides from the the point that I can rewatch this movie again and again, and I'm still finding new bits and pieces. So many of the lines and the things that were said just made me feel seen. Um, and again, it just had that emotional, like, you know, she's sitting on the bench looking at the older lady who is actually, I think, a costume designer yeah. in Hollywood. And she just says, you're, you're beautiful. Mm -hmm. And the old lady's like, I know it. <laughs> and it's just like, it made me laugh, but like, it brings a tear to my eye because, you know, she's just her realization of, you know, beauty in different forms yeah. and everything is, is so impactful. Um, you know, America Ferrera's speech, which has circulated the internet like <laughs> a thousand times by now. Um, you know, is is also impactful. We all like have those moments where, um, as women, we feel all of those things. Yeah. <laughs> so, I think that's where this movie, to me, will be like my rainy day movie, mm -hmm. my sick time movie, <laughs> my pick me up movie. 
Um, in your Mojo Dojo Casa House. <laughs> Um, thank you uh, for bringing that and for letting us geek out over Barbie. Um, my number one, none of y'all mentioned, so thanks. Um, <laughs> every now and again, I see a movie in the middle of the year, and I just wait and wait and wait for something to knock it off the number one spot, and it just never happens. And this was one of those years. Back in June, I went to the theater not really knowing what to expect because its trailers are not awesome um, out of this movie. And it just reached into my chest, grabbed my heart, and did not let go for the better part of two hours. My number one film of the year is directed by Celine Song. It is Past Lives, um, starring Greta Lee, Teo Yu, and uh, John Magaro. Um, it's so stupidly simple you know it's just it's the story of basically two relationships of a woman and her basically her childhood crush uh who became a young adult crush when they reconnected in the age of social media and how that then comes back into play after she becomes married talks a lot about destiny and past lives and literally past lives and have we met each other before if we brushed against each other a thousand years ago maybe we brushed against each other and uses that as the underpinning for a very very honest story um i've talked a lot about how I will see movies and learn things that i try to apply to my own life and while this film is very, very much um, primarily about Nora, the Greta Lee character, and her relationship with these two men, when I watched this and I saw John Magaro as her, as her husband, um, as Arthur, I watched him and I'm like, that is the kind of guy I want to be. I do not want to be the kind of guy who starts drama. I do not want to be the kind of guy who does not listen to his partner i want to be the kind of guy who understands that there were there was life before me you know and that needs to happen so listening to him talk about hearing her speak in um, another language in her dreams and knowing that that's a place he can never go and even then listening to him talk to um her her crush to to Sung and say it's good that you came you know, it's good that this has happened. I'm like, I'm like, I have so much fucking work to do. <laughs> when I when I listen to this, it is just it's such a simple movie. It's so gorgeous. It has stuck with me. I think you've seen it. You guys both? No, I have not. Oh my goodness. Okay. Uh, well, my gift to you is yeah. My gift to you is go see this movie. Um, Hillary Butler, Past Lives, Celine Song. Yeah, so this was one that like eluded me at Sundance because they didn't make it available digitally. How dare they? Goodness gracious! It, at least in Canada for a press. So um, I saw it on a screener at home, and I kind of wish I'd seen it in the theater, mm. um, where I think it would have like really immersed me a little bit more. Um, but I still really loved it. It's in my short like list, um, and I love that there's so many like little quiet moments in this film. Um, I forget what the phrases where they that they used to talk about the like brushing against like yeah a thousand years but it, that was such a a cool concept for me um and that sort of stuck with me and i mean Greta Lee, i know mostly actually from the morning show um yeah yeah <laughs> watching her on that where she's also fantastic but i loved seeing her um 
you know, in this role. And when they eventually like walk away from one another, there's kind of, it's just like a like moment of, as you said, honesty. And yeah, it did stick with me. I, I think it's absolutely lovely. I, I think that's a great way to describe it. It's a really just honest movie. I think there's honest emotions, real people. Yeah. Um, Lee, I, I only really knew from uh, Sisters. She was like the manicurist, I think. Mm-hmm. And she was hysterically funny in that. And to see her as this complex, real person was fantastic. Like I, I think she's going to be a tremendous talent going forward. But um, I loved everybody in this movie. That her... Um, her old Korean boyfriend is probably too much, too strong a word, but connection. At one point, I think he said, well, what if this is our past life? Mm-hmm. And I just love that kind of like, I did not thought about that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it just really sets up all these kind of thoughts about, forget about the mystical for the moment, but just how you approach your relationships yeah. and how can you be a better partner for somebody? We all have work to do. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you probably more than most of us, but, but we, all, we all have layers. <laughs> I really do love you. <laughs> um, but um, this is a great pick for number one. It's in my at least top 20 and maybe yeah. higher. I, I don't know where it is. But um, it's, I, I mean, it's what I, I think like there's there's so much I love about it, like right down to the way that it makes room. It makes New York look so romantic mm-hmm. without going through the typical New York things. Yep. You know, like it, it really like I'm like, I want to go to this New York. I've been to New York. It kind of sucks in some ways. Like it's it's crowded. It's loud. Uh, but it's like this is all very idyllic and very super hypercharged. Like I could absolutely understand how two people who have not seen each other for 10 years will come back into this New York and reconnect. I can understand how a marriage will be in deep barrel because of this New York. And yet um, it's just, it's all rendered so lovingly. Um, There's so much like we were talking earlier about um, anatomy of a fall and how much is said, but not shown. This is the opposite. So much of this movie is shown and not said right down to that last shot that you were talking about Hillary, where it's, they're literally just standing arms like the part and not saying anything. And your heart is just pounding out of its mm-hmm. chest because you're like, this could all fall apart at any second. And her, her subtle looks and glances are out of this world. Yeah. I mean, there's the, the, the shot that's in the trailer is the two of them riding the subway mm-hmm. and they're both holding the same pole. Mm-hmm. And, and as the train kind of rocks and you're like, and like, that's like romantic as can be, mm-hmm. right? Like I'm like I'm like I'm getting turned on here. What the hell? Um, it's 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 so economic. It's so compact. There's the beginning of this movie where you hear voices off off screen looking at this trio, looking at the couple and her ex Flame, and they're trying to come up with who do you think these people are together? Because two of them are talking like crazy, and one of them is on the outside of this conversation looking in. Who are these people? And she like looks right at the camera, like looks right at the speakers and right at us. It's like, you have no idea what's going on here. Mm-hmm. And I just, oh, I love that so much. It's also a fun game to play at a bar if you ever need, like, oh, yeah. 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 yeah you bet. Uh, airports, too. If you're waiting <laughs> yeah. for a flight, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, uh, this, I, I, this movie, as I said, it really, I'm, I'm, I'm a lover of stories. And this is a movie about storytellers. And that's the one thing I love Arthur talking about is Arthur goes, if nothing else, this is a great story. Mm-hmm. You know, you lose connection with this childhood flame of yours and they come back after all this time. He's like, this is a great story, mm-hmm. you know? But on top of that, it's, it's the characters. Because yes. The characters 
and, and the, I think the performances that really make it romantic. New York adds to that, the story yep. adds to that. But without the characters, without those performances, you're going to lose a yeah. lot of that romance. And I think, you know, the way they then Greta Lee, I think, primarily oh, yeah. um, brings that to it. Yeah, I think she, without without her, obviously, I yeah, think everything falls. Apart. Yeah, well, like the two male leads are really good. Yeah, you know, yeah, well, like like it's it is very much her story, and like watching the way she interacts with Arthur, watching the way that she interacts with Sung, how those are different, the similarities to them, her, you know, evolution as like you know like as an immigrant, uh, both like through Canada into New York, um, you know, she wanted to be an author, now she's a playwright, and it, it's it's just there, there's so much going on with her. All in a very, very tidy, like 110 minutes. You know, like yeah. yeah. Listen, I enjoyed sitting through three and a half hours of Thousands of the Killer Moon myself, but maybe there is a shorter way to do this. <laughs> I'm just saying. I, I, I love even the way that uh, when she meets her to be husband, it's very economical in how she seduces him. Yeah, where you know she's telling the story of like uh, uh, some of the stuff, and she says, "Oh, it's just something you say when you want to seduce somebody." <laughs> and, Boom. Yeah. Just like that. <laughs> it's going, yeah. yes, ma'am. Yeah. Oh, this movie is so good. <laughs> I, I can't wait to watch more movies by Celine Song to see more. Um, you know, um, John Magaro over the last several years has been in a lot of movies I really loved. He was front and center in First Cow a few years ago as well. Oh, yeah. 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 He's, he's, he's a really good actor. Um, and 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 yeah, Greta Lee. Uh, uh, maybe I'm gonna have to watch the morning show now because I want more Greta Lee in my life. But that was my um, my number one. Um, without turning this uh, two hour podcast into a three hour oh, podcast, no. get your list. Out. I have a list, but it's not like if, your list. I've seen you scrolling, sir. If you could have, <laughs> I will give each of you a jury prize. Okay, oh, no. now I'm not looking for like your number six. I'm looking for one movie that stuck with you. For any rhyme or reason, it could be something that it's just like, it's not one of the best movies of the year, but damn, it was cute. Jolie Featherstone. They're both documentaries. Oh, okay. Uh, one is Canadian. Um, so if you're looking for something that will stay with you, but it's also like very engaging, very fun, I would highly recommend Satan Wants You. Um, very, ignore the title. Okay. <laughs> it's called Satan Wants You. It's a Canadian documentary. It is, just watch it. It is weird and a little bit frightening, but not in the way you think it's going to be frightening. It's also extremely funny. Um, the other one that I would say, because I'm going to be very quick, um, is also a documentary, and it's called Fashion Reimagined. It's the one that was like fighting for the number four slot, um, and I would say that one because that one has absolutely stuck with me every day, every hour since I've watched it in terms of how we like how i consume like as a okay as a okay. consumer like how do i consume products um what waste do i generate just by going through my day i like literally every hour i'll think about something that i heard or saw in that documentary so i would also highly recommend that one bob turnbull can you tell me one <laughs> sure i have six <laughs> I, really Give me quickly, three the, 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 the two kind of like uh, um you know, thriller type ones. They call they clone Tyrone, Mission Impossible. Both just fun movies. That was also on in. my my like yeah. second. Jamie Fox is reading of kind of brother got a tea. <laughs> funny film really. Gotcha. Um, two Canadian movies from Tiff Rue. 
and humanist vampires seeking consent yes, from suicide a person. That was wonderful. Just, yeah. fa- just fantastic. I'll let <laughs> you talk about it. Looking for that one. Is, that one has finally shown up on Apple, I think. So I'm finally actually looking oh, good. forward good. to seeing yeah. that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Rue, I think, hits more for me just because I, I recognize that Montreal. Well, I'm interested in Rue because Rue is based on a novella, so sort of similar mm-hmm. to what we're saying about and is Origin. Great. It's like, how do you turn that into a mm-hmm. movie? You extend a lot of those scenes and ah. you, you piece them together into this full story of this young girl. And Lots you show things like Shirving Off in Quebec and all these things like, oh, I know that. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, but the other, the other two perfect days, the Vim Vendors, one of my favorite performances of the year, Koji Akusho. Four Daughters is the one that I'm going to put give the jury, jury prize to. It's Tunisia's entry into the uh, uh, the Oscar race. Well done. Thank you for keeping it brief. Uh, Hillary Butler, what do you got? My second thought will be uh, Memory um, with Jessica Chastain and Peter Sarsgaard, um, which I saw at TIFF and really kind of resonated with me. Peter Sarsgaard plays a man with like early onset dementia. And mm. Jessica Chastain kind of ends up like falling in love with him. It's, it's a very like melancholic sort of film, but it really... Kind of resonated, um, and then you hurt my feelings, which <laughs> yeah, I adored. Really and there's a moment in this movie that still like plays rent free in my mind. Yep. When Julia Louis Dreyfus is getting into a argument with Tobias Menzies, and he's she's you know says her point, and and he says, "Oh, but I love you," and she's like, "Oh, well, fine then." Like nothing, <laughs> like you know, that she said before is going to be erased by these words. You know, or just yeah. So. Fine. Yeah, she's like, well, fine then. Everything's great because you said I love you. Like, and it's just such a relatable moment where it's like, you know, he's grasping at straws and he thinks he's doing the right thing, and he's, yeah. So yeah, that movie I loved. Talk about like real characters. Like, yeah, I, I, yeah, I love those two. Yeah, she's yeah. good at writing those characters. Yeah, yeah. So. She's extremely good at writing those characters. We did a whole uh, episode of the matinee cast. About You Hurt My Feelings. That was episode 307, uh, where my friend Keisha Howarth uh, dropped by to talk about that one. So if you like that movie or you want to know more about that movie, go listen to that. My jury prize um, was from much earlier this year. Uh, It's on demand. You can find it really easily. Um, Cute little rom-com that was just more clever than it really needed to be. Rye Lane, directed by uh, Rain Ellen Miller. Um, I I know that uh, Hillary has a little bit of an issue with the London geography in the movie of like you wouldn't be able to turn the... There's some like places that just, I mean it was all in the right area you're uh, that you, like that for me that for me was uh was chloe by uh adam agoyan yeah. there's times where they like turn two corners i'm like why are you at the ago yeah. <laughs> how did you how did you get there yeah rylane would be my jury prize that's another one that my I, favorite place in london which oh. is south bank Oh, okay. That, that's another one that I watched, I think, because you mentioned it. That is episode 318 of the Matinee Cast. I am so thankful that Bob Turnbull, Hillary Butler, and Jolie Featherstone were able to drop by. Well, I'm really thankful that Hillary and Jolie were here. Bob, it's just kind of nice. <laughs> Come on back on January 15th for episode 319. I'm not sure what we're going to talk about. Uh, maybe we'll talk about Origin. Uh, maybe Iron Claw. Uh, folks, plug yourselves and where people can find you. Bob is just sort of around. That's so. kind of a lot. <laughs> Mind, I actually remember my uh, my Twitter handle. Remembered it this time. Yeah. Nicely done. Um, don't really post that often. Gotcha. Whatever. But you're here, yeah. And and we and we're happy that you are, uh, Hillary. Where can people find your uh, works? Uh, you can find me over at Lothar Films, very occasionally at In the Seats, and my Twitter is at Pet Doc Hill. Not pets do chill. I mean, no. I, it kind of works <laughs> if you take out that. Yeah. yeah. And and pet do chill. Pet do chill. <laughs>
They do chill. I mean, it also works. It does. Good uh, That's also a great handle, just saying. Shelly yeah. Featherstone. Uh, you can find me at, uh, on X, Twitter, I don't know what we're calling it nowadays. Uh, at, <laughs> yeah, it feels more comfortable saying Twitter. At TL Film Files. Um, I write at travelfilmfiles.wordpress.com and for Wiley Writes. Very nice. Uh, my site is thematinee.ca for more audio content. You can find back episodes there. I am two glasses of wine and one cider in at this point, people. Uh, go to thematinee.ca for that. You can also find me in the usual places, Spotify, Apple, Google, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, you name it. If you use a podcast platform that I'm not on, let me know. I'll put myself there. You can subscribe for free and get alerts when new episodes drop. Feedback on any of the movies we've talked about today can be left uh, in the comment section of the site. You can email ryan at thematinee.ca. On Twitter, uh, I'm matinee underscore CA. And there is still Facebook, facebook.com slash darkmatinee. Any final thoughts, people? Great year for films. Mm -hmm. uh, Agreed. Thank you so much for inviting us. Back. Thank you for. I uh, thank all of you for dropping by for continuing to do this year end thing. Um, for answering my calls when I look for people sometimes at the last minute um, for shows uh, often at the last minute if I'm being honest. Um, and uh, yeah, for Jolie, Hillary, and Bob, I'm Ryan. Have a happy and safe New Year, and we'll see you at the matinee. Remember, you are Knuff. <laughs> I am Knuff. Yeah.